I trust you stand redeemed. Amen? Boy, that's good. I like that. Take your Bible. Turn over to John chapter 13, verse 15. John chapter 13, verse 15. What a great message in that song right there. Great message. John chapter 13, verse 15 tonight. There in that passage, we simply read these words. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is speaking. He's speaking to His disciples. And there's little doubt that Jesus Christ certainly left a very positive and a very powerful example. For I have given you an example, He says. Nobody in this room, at least, I'm sure, would, you know, argue that point. We'd all agree that He did indeed Give us a tremendous example. And then he goes on to say that ye should do as I have done to you. Mark Twain once said, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Isn't that good? Let me say that again. He said, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, He stated, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. Isn't that true? And that's true with all of our lives. For many years, Monterey, a California coast town, was a pelican's paradise. You know, pelicans, they hang out by the beach there and all so forth, and they eat fish and that kind of thing. Well, as the fishermen cleaned their fishes, they would, you know, fling the guts to the pelicans. I know it doesn't sound very nice, but that's what they did. And uh, the birds grew very fat, very lazy, very contented. They, they eventually became, um, <clears throat> I guess... Um, uh, to the point where really they forgot, they, they got so dependent on those snacks, so dependent on those guts, that uh, they failed to forgot how to feed themselves. <clears throat> and um, so when these uh, uh, fishermen finally found use of the guts of the fish that they were cutting up, of course they sold them to McDonald's for McNuggets, but... <clears throat> <clears throat> Well, I don't know that for sure. I just thought maybe after I've heard some of you tell me about those documentaries. But <clears throat> nonetheless, I still will eat them. Nonetheless, <clears throat> um, the, the, the pelicans, uh, you know, were no longer able to, to eat, eat or anything. They, they did forgot how to fish. And so they would just wait around. And as they waited around, they just grew skinny and they ultimately starved. A number of them starved to death, actually. They had forgotten how to fish. For themselves. And, and so um, the problem was solved very easily. What they ended up doing was they imported some new pelicans from the south, birds that were accustomed to foraging for themselves, finding their own food. They brought them, placed them there with the rest of those, uh, uh, <clears throat> rest of those birds. And all of a sudden, after watching their, their, their cousins, so to speak, uh, go out and forage and find food, they started doing the same thing. They followed their example. And they, they stopped dying. They eventually learned how to eat and they 
I don't know how fat they got because they had to go after their own food, but before long, the hungry pelicans were eating like normal. Well, again, the example of others and how powerful it is. An example can be life-changing. And in this case, it was life-preserving. And you know, that's true with us today. It's a powerful thing, an example is. And Christ left us with a very vivid, a very vital, and a victorious example. And tonight, just in a few minutes, I just want to share a couple of, uh, I guess, ways that Jesus was an example and make an application to it, okay? won't take real long tonight, but I do want to spend just a few minutes and do that. So before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask Him to show up tonight. Father, we come to You. We thank You for allowing Jesus Christ, Your Son, to come to Calvary and ultimately die in our place. He, He was an example to us. Not only in his death, but even more so in some regards in his life. He lived a life that, Father, set an example for us and a pattern for us. Help us, Lord, to take note of it and heed it. Lord, tonight, just help us to learn what we can from your word. We ask you for your mercy, your grace. And, Lord, may we glean tonight as never before. And may we be different for having come. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, when I think about Jesus Christ as an example, it's, I can't help but think about Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus saved. Jesus saved. Isn't it great that He saved us? <clears throat> it's a wonderful thing. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to save them to the uttermost. He saved me. He saved you, I trust. He is the Savior of all the world. Jesus saved. Take your Bible, if you would, look over at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Over there in the book of Timothy, we see a passage that encourages us in regards to Jesus Christ, or God Himself being the Savior of all men. Notice it says in chapter 4, verse 10 of 1 Timothy, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. I, folks, you say, what's that supposed to mean? Especially, or especially of those that believe? Yeah, He's the Savior of all men, whether or not they believe or not. The question is whether they will make it to heaven or not. See, Jesus doesn't stop being the Savior just because you don't believe He's the Savior. He's the Savior of all men, especially to those that believe. That's real simple. The fact is is that we have a God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved. He literally took our place. He paid for our sin. He saved our soul. We have so much to be thankful for and grateful for. What an example He was as a Savior. Jesus saved. But you know, another thing that we see as an example that Jesus Christ did was Jesus suffered. He suffered. <clears throat> Take your Bible, look over to the book of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to begin in verse 27. Matthew <clears throat> chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. <clears throat> Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head 
and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit upon him and took a reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Jesus Christ, without doubt, suffered some of the most horrible, heinous types of uh, pain and uh, treatment that has ever existed. I know we can go back to maybe those times during the Inquisition and we can look at some of the most uh, some of those horrible times in history when they persecuted and martyred the, the believers for their faith in Jesus Christ. Certainly, you know, throwing someone in a burlap sack along with uh, serpents or possibly rabid dogs and then casting them into the, the sea to, to sink to their death as well as be bitten, smitten, and everything else that went with it. I know, horrible and heinous, to be placed on a, a stake and ultimately to allow the fire to come up and literally burn their limbs and ultimately take their life. I understand it's tough. They put them on racks and stretched until every bone and muscle was pulled out of socket. I know the, the heartache and the hurt and the suffering. I'm just to read about it is just beyond comprehension. And yet Jesus Christ knows the suffering of all humanity. Jesus Christ understands the hurt of all mankind. Jesus knows what it was to suffer. He suffered like no other did, being God on this earth, taking the place of you and I on Calvary. Isaiah chapter 53 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. We're so glad today that we serve a God who suffered on our behalf. But as we look at the example that Jesus left us, not only did He save, but He suffered. He saved, Jesus suffered, but also Jesus served. He served. Look, if you will, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. He left us an example. He saved, He suffered. He served. Matthew 4, verse 23, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. I I think as I read through that, I wonder sometimes, if I had the ability that Jesus Christ had to heal, would I do it? You say, would you do it? Yeah, I mean, would I allow my life to be upset that much by that ability? I mean, can you imagine literally how many phone calls you'd get? I had two phone calls a day today alone, people that need to talk to me this afternoon, just because of things in their life. I can't even imagine how many calls I've gotten this afternoon if I could heal. I can't imagine. Can you imagine? I could not go home without people being outside of my home. I don't care. You can go and believe whatever you want about TV preachers that can heal. They can't heal or they'd never have a moment's rest in their life. I mean, let's just be honest. Jesus didn't have any rest. Everywhere Jesus went, they thronged Him. This multitudes just came about Him. He had nowhere to rest. As a matter of fact, he sought the wilderness just to find time, just to be alone with God because He was always bombarded with people and their needs. 
And then you say, well, I would still heal. Okay, let's take another factor out. Jesus never made any money on the deal. Now, let's go ahead and say, would I be willing to heal people, put up with the inconvenience of all the needs of others, if I would not benefit one bit by the money? Now, that is the real question, because that's what Jesus Christ did when He served. He didn't serve for filthy lucre. He didn't serve to get ahead. He didn't serve to make it in the, the, the world. He didn't try to amass a, a, a universe or a or should I say some kind of uh, incorporation and build some massive, uh, I don't know, company for himself or a name for himself. He just did it because he loved people. Man, that'd be amazing. I, I don't know. If I had the ability, I can't honestly tell you today that I'd be more than happy to do what Jesus did. I, I, don't, think, I don't know that I could. I don't know. I, I don't even want to have to give up certain television shows. I don't even want to have to read certain books. I don't even want to have to discipline myself to go certain places or do certain things at times. I'm that lazy in my flesh. I can't imagine being willing to say, sure, I've set my whole life, my whole schedule. Don't worry about me at all. Just whatever. I'm not going to be so, I'm not going to be so arrogant to tell you tonight, in my mind at least, that I would be that person. I don't know that for sure. I'd like to think I would be, but I can't say I would be. I, I, I don't like interruptions. I can't stand them. If it's on the schedule, I'm, okay, there it is. But I don't like interruptions. I, I, I don't like it. Why? Because there's, there's, it just seems already to me there's so much to do. That's what I need now is ten other people standing outside my door going, we're waiting. Well, I need to eat some lunch. We're waiting. Well, I need to get home and talk to my wife and family. We're waiting. Can you imagine that? But Jesus served like no other. He served like no other. You know, we look at Jesus' life and we think, what, a, what an amazing, what, a, what a, a glamorous life Jesus had. Healing people everywhere He went. Thronged by people, always drawing the crowd. If I could only be a preacher and have crowds want to hear me like they did Moody and like they did Spurgeon and like Jesus. Crowds all the time. No, no, I don't know about that. I mean, it's easy to talk like that, but is that really what you want? I'm not saying you shouldn't want it. I'm saying are you willing to pay the price because it costs something. To serve God the way He intends it to be done, to follow the example of Jesus Christ, is to give ourselves and to be inconvenienced. Because that's what Jesus was. He served. He served. In Luke chapter 22, turn there if you would please, verse 24. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. I enjoy serving the Lord. Don't misunderstand me, but I'm not so sure that I have the gift of healing. I, I've often thought at one point I would like it, but I'm not so sure now. <clears throat> I read through the New Testament. Boy, that, Jesus didn't have a lot of time to himself. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? The disciples, of course, arguing amongst themselves. Bickering about who in the, would be the greatest. <clears throat> that never happens in church. That, that never happens. We know that. <laughs> right? Okay, but anyway, <clears throat> who would be the greatest? A little facetious there, but nonetheless. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors 
Why, 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 those that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. What's a benefactor? Somebody that benefits. They benefit for lording over them. Hold on. But ye shall not be so. <clears throat> he that is greatest among you, let him be as your younger. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? And that's not a misinterpretation. Or that, that wasn't misinterpreted. That's, that's accurately interpreted. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? Of course. But I am among you, as he that serveth. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was a servant. <clears throat> he, I like that statement. He says, he says right there, he says, let him be as, a, as the younger. As the younger. Right? Um, we look at young children and we, we expect them to do what we tell them. To submit to our every whim. You know, sit, stay, stand, go, come. Be quiet. Shh. Enough. He says, you want to be great? Let him be as the younger. Well, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough one. <clears throat> we all want to have authority. We all want to, in a sense, be in charge, not necessarily of a big corporation, but we want to be in charge of our life. We don't want people telling us what to do. Someone says, I don't like to be in charge. Oh, so you, you want people to tell you what to do? Well, no, I don't want to tell me what to do. I, I want to be in charge of my life. Well, then you like being in charge. Very few people don't like being in charge to some degree or another. The flesh says be in charge. Now, Jesus is saying, you want to be great? Be a servant. That's what Jesus was, a servant. A servant. Not only <clears throat> Jesus saved, he suffered, he served, but he surrendered. Jesus surrendered. Look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It's the big book in the middle. Some of those little ones are hard to find, aren't they? <clears throat> that Isaiah is not too bad. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. 
and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. In this particular passage, of course, we have Isaiah recounting or recalling, if you will, a call to the ministry for him or a call to the work of God. And in this case, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Interestingly, this passage is a proof text for the Trinity. Again, as we look at it, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, so God is speaking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who? The angels in him? No. For the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. A proof text for the Trinity. We see the word us used in Genesis and a few other places in the Bible that lend or credence or credit to the fact that there is a God in heaven that is tripartite but one. Now, many believe that this particular passage also addresses the response of the Trinity toward the request, who shall I send and who will go for us? Many believe that at some point in the past, that question was raised and Jesus himself cried out, here am I, send me. Obviously, Jesus Christ willingly came to earth. He willingly surrendered himself to mankind. He surrendered himself first to his God or the Father and then to us. In John chapter 4 verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Again, the Trinity is so complicated in a sense. It's a mystery, the Bible says. We cannot get hung up on that mystery. We cannot allow ourselves to get so bent and so emboldened in it and so overwhelmed by it that we say, I've got to understand every aspect of it. How could Jesus be God and yet God send Jesus? And how could Jesus hang on a cross and yet literally come and die as God himself? I don't get it. Yeah, neither do I. It's a mystery. According to 2 Timothy 3.16, it is a mystery of godliness. That God became man. And He did. He did. If you study through the Bible, you see evidence of it throughout. In Luke chapter 22, turn there if you would please, as we recall Jesus Christ in the garden. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. Jesus Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane, preparing to be betrayed and ultimately placed on a cruel cross. In Luke 22, verse 41, he says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeling down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. Again, Jesus surrendered. He had surrendered. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. 
That is the heart of surrender. Now let me give you the thought. Before he saved, he suffered. Before he suffered, he served. But before he served, he surrendered. We ask, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, that's easy when it comes to serving the Master. It was surrender. See, there's no real service without surrender first. Every one of us in the room tonight, I trust, want the satisfaction of being needed, uh, being appreciated, productive, being valuable to others. We all want that. We'd all be happy to stand in glory one day and have a multitude of people um, in heaven as a result of our efforts on earth. However, as much as we want the end result, We must first begin with surrender. Each of us must come to the same conclusion if we want genuine success in the Christian life. And that is surrender. We're very quick to do things. I'll go soul winning. I'll help in Sunday school. I'll teach a class. I'll help on the bus route. I'll go out and, 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 and be a bus captain. I'll, I'll clean the church. I'll um, work in the nursery. I'll take care of the couriers. I'll play the piano. I'll, you can put anything else there. But just because we do doesn't mean we are. Doing isn't being. And it's important to understand that we want what Jesus wants. I want to save people. I want to lead people to Christ. I want to be an influence in their life and leave an impact. I want to change things. I want to make a difference. But sometimes we're trying to do that by skipping steps, though. We're skipping steps. We're we're going from, instead of A to B, we're trying to skip right over to D or E. We want to go right to the saving part, right to the place where we become the Savior. I mean, when I think of Christ as my Savior, I get excited. And I say, oh, I love Him. He's my Savior. He's so important and precious to me. And we think, that's what I want people to say about me. I want them to tell me how important I am in their life, how precious I am to them, how needed I am in their life. And so what do we do if we're not careful? We do things that seem to save or make a difference in their life, but we never start where God did, where the Lord Jesus Himself did. See, He said over in the passage, if you recall, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What's the the thing that He did first before He ever saved, before He ever served? He surrendered. And that's the example that should stand out most in our minds as believers. When we think of Christ, we think about the miracles. 
And we think about the cross and all good and well. But the one thing we often forget is the surrender. It would have never happened without surrender. And if there's one thing missing in many believers' lives, it's that element. They may be willing to save, willing to suffer even, and to serve the Lord. But we fail to surrender. Surrender. Many misunderstand the, the, the decision that must be made as a believer. We focus on actions that need to go in our lives. Things like, okay, if I surrender, let's see, I've got to give up my drinking, give up my smoking, give up improper relationships, give up activities, give up certain influences in my life that are negative. And then we'll remind ourselves of actions that will have to be incorporated or added in our life or included in our life, like, you know, I'll have to go to church, I'll have to read my Bible, I'll have to pray. And so what happens is we begin to question our ability to do right or not to do wrong. We start to question whether we can actually live up to those standards or somehow measure up in the eyes of others as well as ourselves. Can I give that up or can I? Can I do that or can I? And can I be content with the Christian life if I'm not able to go out partying with my friends anymore? If I'm not able to to be involved in this activity or be involved in that situation or that lifestyle? I don't know. I just don't know if I can do that. What's the question? See, See how confusing all that is? It's like... Darts being fired at us. It's like we're, we're the dartboard and the devil's just tossing those darts at us. And we're dodging them. We're trying to figure it all out. We're getting hit from all sides. And we got all these questions that need answers. And we're confused and we're frustrated. I don't know about surrendering to God because I don't know if I can live up to that expectation. I don't know if I can put down my flesh. I don't know if I can get victory in my life. All of those things enter into our mind. And so what do we do? We do nothing. We're confused. Frustrated. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, the Bible says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtle... Turn there, if you would, 2 Corinthians 11.3. If you you have a Bible, turn there. One of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, in my mind. One of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear, says the Apostle as he writes to the Corinthians, I fear, he says, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do you know how simple life was in the garden before the devil showed up? Realize how simple it was? You just did what God said. You enjoyed what God made. Life was good. And the devil got in there and beguiled them. He made what was so simple complicated. 
he added things to what God said. And he began to say to them, you're missing out. There's other decisions to be made other than will you obey God. He said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, and he did, so your mind should be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm going to tell you something today. We need to be very careful that we understand that simplicity is what Christ is about. He's not about complication. The devil wants to try to get you to be confused with God's simplicity. God says, this is simple. You surrender to me. You give me your life. You give me your all. You just give back what's rightfully mine anyway. It's simple. It's a simple decision. It's one decision. It's the only decision you have to make. And then we have the devil in our ear corrupting the simplicity of Christ saying, oh, but, but, but then you'll have to live this way and you won't be able to do this anymore. And don't you realize that you better decide now. Do you want to give that up? And that's what you think in a pew. Well, I have to give that up. Am I willing to give that up? That's not the decision you have to make. But he'll confuse you, frustrate you, make you think about all these stupid decisions. Can you possibly, you can't come, can you come to church? They're going to think you're supposed to be at church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you get saved, you know. That's not the decision. You're a Christian, you come to church when you want, but if I surrender, then I'll have to be there all the time, every time the doors are open. That's not the decision you have to make. You don't have to worry about whether or not you'll be there every time the doors are open yet. You have to make a decision, a simple decision. Christ is simple. He was an example. He first surrendered. You are trying to worry about serving God before you ever surrender to God. Quit trying to get ahead of things. Take the first step. Jesus Christ started by surrender. When you are fully surrendered, it's amazing how all of a sudden all those other questions and things fade into nothingness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We take that out of text and we pull verse 2 out and we go, we need to have our mind transformed. We've got to transform our mind. We've got to make sure that we're not thinking like the world thinks. But you know what happened long before you ever did that? You presented yourself as a living sacrifice. See, we're trying to be not conformed to the world before we ever present ourselves to the Lord. That's the problem here. If you're truly presented to the Lord, surrendered to Christ, it makes that step a lot easier. Right, amen. The problem is we're trying to hold on to ourselves and still please God. And it doesn't work. See, there are places that I'll stop for gas or even eat along 77 South. We used to go 77 South for vacation all the time. I still do. I like to go South. I like to get to warm weather. I like sunshine. And so we'd go 77 South. And um, when the kids were little, they were really young, uh, we would often pack a picnic lunch on the journey down and uh, stop at a rest stop 
on just on the other side of Virginia. When you got into Virginia, uh, usually the first rest stop in Virginia on the right, nice place, had a beautiful view, big open field area so the kids could run, we'd play ball or wrestle or do something there for a little bit. And um, uh, we would stop there along the way there, right at that rest stop at Virginia, just to eat our lunch there. We always knew it was there. We always stopped. And then along the way, a little further, we would stop in Wytheville to get gas because gas was cheaper in Wytheville than it was anywhere else down the stretch there. And so we stopped there. We knew Wytheville was there. We knew the cheapest gas was there. So there were certain places we stopped on the way, 77 South. Every time we travel down that way, we stop at those places. We like it. Now, <clears throat> some years ago, Joshua went to Shawnee Baptist College. Shawnee Baptist College isn't down 77 South. It's down 71 to 75, and then it takes a little jolt somewhere else. But anyway, he's down that way. Well, that's a whole different direction, obviously. And now Caleb, of course, goes down to Crown College. So he's straight down 75 down there and uh, down in Powell, Tennessee. And so now, just like the other day, we had to take him back to school. We drove down, dropped him off, came back. But on the way, there's different places to stop. You know, the funny thing is, I never found Wytheville on the way down 75. Never did. I never found that, that rest stop there where we always eat, take our picnic lunch. It wasn't there. The fact is, is that the road you travel determines where you end up and where you stop. Amen. That's it. See, what happens is, when you finally make a decision to get on the road of surrender, God doesn't place certain rest stops along the way. You, you, you're going to have to stop. You're going to learn where to stop along the way. Um, there's going to be places that you go. Those places don't belong, aren't on the road to surrender that you used to go to. They're not even there anymore. And when you really, genuinely, and seriously surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't end up back there where you used to. Because they're not even on the same road. We're worried about giving up something before we ever get on the right road, though. We keep passing the same places because we've not changed our direction yet. And we said, but I'm tempted with this and I'm tempted with that. I don't think I could ever overcome it. Get on the right road, travel the right way, and you'll run into the right places. You're headed one direction when you surrender. You're headed another direction when you don't. And those stops along the way are different depending on which way you're traveling. True surrender has its stops. And you will naturally run into those places. It is natural to go to church on the road to surrender. It's natural. It's not that tough. If it's tough to come to church, you lack surrender. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to say it any other way. I don't think Jesus had a hard time going to church services. He started by being surrendered. So he said, well, it's really tough. Well, yeah, because you're not fully surrendered. That stop is on the way. It's a natural stop on the road of, of surrender. It's natural to go to church. It's natural to read your Bible. It's natural to pray on that road of surrender. It is natural to finally wind up at the rest stop of forgiveness. 
That's natural. I can't forgive. I've never been able to forgive. That's because you're not fully surrendered. You're still trying to do it in your flesh. You're still trying to do it in your own strength. It's a natural stop. The rest stop of forgiveness is on the way, on the road of surrender. You stop there. It's there. Big splashing signs. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Let me pull in there. It's there. We complicate matters too often by doing instead of being. And again, be surrendered and you will ultimately do right. Surrender is the first thing that you and I need as believers. You say, I've been saved. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. That will solve many of the problems that we have with our behavior, our attitude, and our actions. It begins with surrender. Quit trying to serve God in your strength. First, give God yourself. He does not need your talent. He doesn't even need your money. So I can't believe a preacher saying that. He doesn't. What he wants is you. He wants you. Amen. Surrender. Are you surrendered to Christ? When Christ looks at you, he wants to see surrender. That's what pleases him most. And once we're surrendered, then will come service. Then will come even some sacrifice and salvation. Not our salvation, but others. We'll have the opportunity to serve and settle other salvations and make a difference in their lives. There's no success in the Christian life without some suffering, obviously. But surrender always precedes every aspect of the Christian life. It makes it doable. So tonight, will you surrender to the Lord? I mean really surrender. Just give yourself to Him. Just like the passage says, present yourself a living sacrifice, presenting myself for service, sir. I mean, reporting for duty, sir. I mean, that's legitimately what God wants from you and I. A surrendered life. And that's what I want to encourage you tonight. Surrender. Surrender. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the example that the Lord Jesus Christ left us. Father, that's what he wants us to do. Do like he did unto us. Help us to surrender to him as he surrendered to us and to this world. Father, may you be with us. Lord, we struggle sometimes with our flesh, but sometimes because we have yet to really get on the road of surrender, we're trying to do it while we're on the road of self and flesh. Father, it's hard to live the Christian life without surrender. It's impossible in reality. Lord, may we follow Jesus' example and begin not with the saving of souls or the serving of others, but begin where He did with surrender. Full surrender.